Portions of this podcast may not be suitable for children. It's real-life stories and sometimes PG-13. Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He's a rebel who must lay down his arms. C.S. Lewis You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Hear true life stories, portable insight, and engaging messages. On this show, we'll think twice about life, faith, and just what could be possible when the two are combined. Broadcasting from the beautiful Great Lakes state of pure Michigan, here's your host, Dan Henderson. Hey, thanks for listening. Today's episode is going to touch on a hot topic that many may not feel comfortable talking about, sexual sin, specifically pornography. Billy Graham said, from the very beginning, God has given us laws governing the subject of sex. They are absolute and unchangeable. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that sex itself is a sin, but from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible condemns the wrong use of sex. I grew up in the 80s. When TV moved from a four to five local channels to 50 to 60 cable channels, my eyes were opened to many new temptations and faulty role models. Today, we have the internet with seemingly unlimited potential for explicit material. There's no doubt this issue needs to be addressed. So let's get into our first story. Casey's a friend of mine. I went to his wedding and celebrated the births of his children, but I never knew he had been in the fight of his life to save his dignity, family, and freedom. Let's listen to Casey's story now. We are free. Grew up in Baptist church and pretty normal childhood. Parents that were involved in church and went to Sunday school, did all the normal Sunday stuff as a child. Um, God was always on my mind, but there wasn't really any any change in my heart, I don't think. Then in high school, you know, I was one of the popular kids, so I got stuck doing all the popular kids stuff, you know, having girlfriends and didn't get into the party scene, but I just was one of the cool kids, so I had to, I lived like a cool kid. I went to church on Sunday still. I wore a cross around my neck, but my language didn't tell anybody that I was a Christian. And the way I acted didn't tell anybody I was a Christian. I just kind of was going through the motions. After high school, I went through um, a season of depression, pretty bad depression, that led into uh, some drinking, got really bad into pornography. Was kind of stuck there for a long time. I'd go through seasons that were not as bad, um, but it was always just uh, something on my mind. My my depression was really driving me to it. I was 21, got married, still struggling with pornography. I was afraid to tell my wife about it. I think it was in the first year of our marriage. I confessed it to her, and thing you know things got better. But as soon as life started happening again, uh, uh, stresses and just anxieties that come with normal life that. I wasn't totally focused on God and having a strong relationship with God, the, the, the stress and stuff overwhelmed and pornography turned into a, an escape from my life, an escape from my emotions. I just went, went through that season of um, struggling with porn. My wife knew about it, but she didn't really know how to help me. I'd talk to different men in my community, in my church community, and they'd help 
the the problem would go away for a few months but then as soon as life hit me again it'd come back and uh, I just kind of went through life like that of seasons of being in porn and seasons of trying not to be in it and over time it just got worse and worse uh, guilt and shame really started to have a huge effect on my life um, on my walk with God on my marriage my wife and I had kids and the stresses of having young children added to it it just got worse and worse the the problem with porn just got worse and worse it eventually got to the point where um, through a series of events I found myself laid off from my job uh, my wife had to go back to work to get some money so I stayed home with the kids which gave me more opportunities to um, spend looking at porn um, and with the guilt and shame it really just made my um, feelings about myself really bad I started to hate myself more and more every day um, I started to get really angry um, and having having young kids around that I was taking care of the stresses with that made my anger a lot more I ended up you know um, getting really aggressively loud and screaming it eventually got to the point where I was in the car with both my kids and my son had been screaming for about 20 minutes I turned around and screamed at him and I saw in his eyes his 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 eyes went from being uncomfortable and screaming because he's uncomfortable to now he's terrified of me his dad I even scared my daughter in the process she started crying because she was scared of me too that just made me realize that I wasn't being all the the man that I could be I turned around in the car and I just asked God like what's going on with me what's wrong with me I instantly knew that he was talking to me I knew he he said well the problem is you hate yourself and the guilt and the shame just are making your life really hard and all the stresses in life everything's adding up to you hating yourself and that's turning into anger so that next day I knew I had to tell my wife again that I was still struggling with porn it'd been quite a while since I told her and uh, I didn't even have the courage to tell her I, I basically wrote her a letter gave it to her and, and told her to read it after work one night it had gotten to the point where I knew I had to change I knew I couldn't do it on my own I knew I needed God's help the worst outcome for me was that my wife would leave me she'd take my kids and I would be alone and my my kids would grow up without their dad being around that often but I told God if this is if this is the worst thing that can happen and it happens I have faith and I know that you can restore all things and I know that you can restore the the relationship with my wife I know you can store the restore the relationship with my kids and I basically surrendered it all to him which gave me the strength to write the letter to uh, completely confess everything that was going on uh, to my wife with the porn with my hatred of myself um, the guilt and the shame and the stress I just kind of laid it all out I put it in a letter and gave it to her she came home and I was basically crying in the kitchen 
came over to me, gave me a big hug, and said, I don't care, this isn't going to destroy our marriage, and I love you, and we're going to get through this. And at that moment, the weight of the pornography addiction, the weight of guilt and shame instantly left. And for the first time, I actually felt the Father's love for me through... Um, the compassion that my wife was giving me and through the love that she was giving me I felt the father's love and it just completely restored me back to the man that he had created me to be the, the man that has the purpose that God's created for me and uh, it just totally restored everything that was over two years ago and it's I've been completely free of pornography addiction and had the strength to fight any temptation that comes my way. Some practical things to do to stay out of porn or to resist the temptation of porn. One thing I've found is to be super um, sensitive to um, my emotions. I would run to porn to, uh, as a response to any emotion that I would feel. If I was angry, I would run to it. Stress, um, uh, anxiety, tired. If I was alone, if I was happy, I would even run to it. It was almost like a celebration. I think, too, it was like I was so unused to being happy that I unconsciously wanted to fall back into that depression. So it was like every single emotion I felt would send me into a spiral of looking at porn. One of the things that I found that's super practical is just to be really sensitive to my emotions and where they're coming from. If I can understand where my anger's coming from, then I know how to process through it correctly and have a healthy outcome where it's not, I'm not escaping it in porn, I'm processing it with the help of the Holy Spirit and then moving forward. So knowing what you're feeling, if you feel angry, but you don't know why, Take a minute, acknowledge that you're feeling angry, and then ask yourself, what got me to this point? Go back to when you were feeling normal, when you were happy or content, and then follow the breadcrumbs. Follow what led up to you feeling angry. And that's a great process and a very practical way of how to resist that temptation, especially if it comes from you know, an escape from your emotions or an escape from life. Our God has come to save, conquer death and the grave. We know we are free, we know we are free, yeah. Our God has come to save, conquer death and the grave. We Death bows before the King, the one who 
It's amazing to me to see what God has done for Casey. It takes real courage to come out and tell this story of struggle and redemption. Maybe you, like most men, yes, myself included, have had to overcome sexual temptations. There's an excellent book that I would recommend. It's called Every Man's Battle. I love that title because sexual purity truly is every man's battle. For some, the battle is over before it started, and victory is second nature. But for others, it's taken years. This was true for our next story, Paul. His story is entitled, X-Rated Thrills and the Addiction That Kills. I first saw pornography in grade school. A friend of mine had X-Rated magazines. Soon after seeing those magazines, I started a masturbation habit. In high school, I experienced the typical teen hormones and often allowed my mind to fantasize about girls. I also pursued sexual relationships with girls. In college, I continued to seek out porn. My relationship with my girlfriend at the time was deeply affected by the consuming addiction. I was soon fixated with the desire for sex and allowed lust to control my mind. Since I did well academically and had an attractive girlfriend, my pride became an additional foothold for sin. After college, I entered the military and delved further into pornography in its various forms. I also continued to pursue sexual relationships with women. I thought that getting married would help me break my porn and masturbation habits. I was wrong. I remember my heart racing with adrenaline as I purchased porn magazines from the local convenience store, slightly fearful that I might see someone from church. At the time, I was a group leader for the youth ministry, but the fear of being caught wasn't enough to keep me from buying it. After enjoying the porn for a few days, I would throw it away in shame and disgust, resolving never to look at it again. After a few weeks, I'd be back looking for more. It never brought any real satisfaction, only a burning desire for more. When I got connected to the internet, a whole new dimension of temptations hit me. Suddenly, I could visit porn sites freely and secretly anytime I wanted. The internet offered just about anything imaginable in porn and I found myself looking regularly. I would plan times to surf for porn when my wife was away or after she went to bed. My addiction was steadily consuming me. I knew I had to stop, but I didn't know how to cut it out. I knew that God had been calling me back to a relationship with Him, and I felt the Holy Spirit tugging at my heart and conscience. I started to recognize the deceptive double life I was leading church-going Christian on the outside, sex addict on the inside. I knew it was wrong to look at porn and fantasize about sex, but it seemed too difficult to stop. I could go for two or three months of so-called sobriety before falling again. It seemed like an endless cycle. The truth about my situation was that I had been building a stronghold for sexual sin for many years by looking at porn, fantasizing, and masturbating. This stronghold had become virtually invincible. The images I viewed over the years were causing my memories to be a constant source of temptation. My porn habit was weakening my marriage and damaging our sex life. I was becoming more excited about looking at porn than being with my wife. One night in July 1998 at around 2 a.m., I couldn't sleep. I felt a strong prompting to ask God for help in getting free of my sex addiction. Instead of going to the computer to surf for porn, I went to the living room and got on my knees to pray. 
I confess my sin and desire to be free. I ask for God to forgive me and help me. This prayer was a sincere prayer, unlike many of the half-hearted prayers I had given in the past. Though there were no peals of thunder after I prayed, I was able to return to bed and go back to sleep. The next day, I realized something had changed inside me. God had done a work in me. I was different. Somehow God changed me so that I could resist the urges to view porn and masturbate. I have been completely free of sex addiction since that night. During the years since then, God has taught me how to walk in sexual purity. I learned about the spiritual side of sexual sin and other temptations. I learned how to receive healing from God and walk with Him on a daily basis. I also learned how the Holy Spirit plays a key role in helping us live as new persons in Christ. I've written about all these things in order to help others escape the trap of sex addiction and walk in the victory that God has prepared for them. If you are struggling with a sexual addiction, I want you to know that you too can have freedom. God is the one who can give you reliable help to permanently break that addiction. There is no limit to the ways that God can and will move in your life if you will ask Him. Luke 4.18 The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind to set the oppressed free. It's amazing to see what the Lord has done for Paul. As you've just heard, he's living the good life and no longer struggling with sin and shame. You too can have that freedom. Will you take that first step today? Just start with a prayer. Ask God for help. Read the Bible and resolve to change. You'll also need to get help. Find a trusted friend or pastor to confess to them what you've been struggling with. This will shed light on the secret and further remove the power of hidden addictions. If you or someone you know is struggling with substance abuse or other addictions, stop by our site at thinktwicetv.com backslash breaking addictions. We have lots of resources you can download and share or look for the link in the show notes. Also, the song that was playing at the end of that testimony is from a group called Brad and Rebecca. That song is entitled Compelled by Love. Brad and Rebecca are friends of ours. My wife went to college with them uh, studying music. They have many awesome albums out there. Uh, Their newest one is Gift of Grace. You can find them on iTunes. Um, Google them. BradandRebeccaMusic.com is their website. We want to thank them for allowing us to use some of their music in our podcast. 
You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Many of the stories you've heard today are available in video format at our website, www.thinktwicetv.com. Find original videos, true life stories, and content to help you grow your faith at thinktwicetv.com. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. It's time for the absolute basics of the Christian faith from seedbed.com. Answering those burning questions like who is God, what is salvation, and many more. So, let's take a bite. The absolute basics of the Christian faith. What is required for salvation? Jesus saves us from the disruption and destruction that came from our disobedience. The question for us then is, how can we be saved? And the Bible tells us that salvation has two main pieces, repenting of our disobedience and believing in Jesus Christ. Repent in the Bible means to change your mind, and the word believe means to fully trust. Imagine it a bit like this. Let's say that you live in a kingdom with a good and righteous king. But you and a group of fellow citizens decide to overthrow the king and become rulers yourselves. So you take up arms and try and take the castle. But you fail and retreat to a cave in the mountains where you scheme and make future plans to overthrow the king. And so you try again and again, but you fail each time. Finally, weary and shivering in your cave, you're beginning to doubt your original reasons for rebellion. You're not sure it was a good idea to begin with. And suddenly, you hear a regiment of the king's soldiers approaching. You look out and there they are, all armed to the teeth of the king leading the charge. You're surrounded, outnumbered, and outgunned. So how can you be saved? The only way to be saved in this case is to wave the white flag, throw down your weapons, give up being rebels, and surrender. That's repentance. Now, it must be said that repentance is never fun. The Bible recognizes this when it describes the feeling that leads to true repentance as godly sorrow. It's a moment when you hit rock bottom, but there's hope. As Frederick Buechner says, the gospel is bad news before it's good news. Believing in God moves us from rejection of ourselves to following someone better. The Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith from Seedbed.com It's time for a bottle of Bill's Wisdom, a short single-serving message of wisdom from our friend, Pastor Bill Leach. Martin Luther uh, had a a system. He would would write down the Bible passage of the verse, and then he would ask three questions. He would say, how does this truth lead me to praise God? What can I praise God for in regard to this truth? How can I worship Second, he would ask, what sins do I need to confess in the light of this truth? And third, he would ask, what do I need to ask God for in the light of this truth? So, for example, if, he, if the truth he was looking at was that God is my father, he's not just a king or a shepherd or some of the other, uh, the other things we know God to be, he would say, why is it great that he's my father? And he'd write maybe 20 things of why it's great that God is his father. And then, and then he would praise God for that. He'd say, thank you, Lord, you're my father. And he, he would go through and rehearse those things and let it impact his heart. Then he would say, now in what ways am I actually treating God as if he's a father? 
In what ways am I forgetting that he's my father in the way I'm living my life? And he'd repent. He'd say, God, I'm not, I'm not living the way I should in this area. Let this impact me. And then he'd say, what do I need to ask God for in the light? of this? Okay, if he is my father, what should I be praying for today? What should I be asking my father for? Another approach is to take a truth you just read and say, if I really believe this, if I really, 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 really believe this, to the bottom of my being, how would that change how I relate to, my, to myself, to my family, to my work? John Ortberg, in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, gives five suggestions. They're important, so I'm going to try to summarize these quickly. First, he said, ask God to meet you in Scripture. Augustine, in his most famous passage in his Confessions, he tells of sitting under a fig tree and hearing a voice repeat, take it and read, take it and read. And it became clear to him that it was the voice of God telling him to pick up the Bible. And when he read a brief section of Paul's letter to the Romans, this is what he wrote. He says, I had no wish to read further. There was no need to. It was as though my heart was filled with a light of confidence and all the shadows of my doubts were swept away. It is uniquely the in the Bible where we encounter Jesus. We are trying in our meditation to make the word flesh. Jesus is God's word in the flesh to us and to make that real. Second, Ortberg says, read the Bible with a repentant spirit. Read with a readiness to surrender everything. Read it with a vulnerable heart. We're reading for transformation, not merely information. We're not reading to prove a point. We're not reading to just say, yeah, I knew that. I was right there. Yes, I... Let us not be like the person who thinks they know the Bible ten times better than anyone else, but nobody wants to be around them. The scribes and Pharisees proved that it's possible to read the Scripture without being washed by the Word. You search the scriptures, Jesus said to them, because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that testify on my behalf. Third, he says, meditate on a fairly brief passage or narrative. Uh, Madame Guion wrote, if you read quickly, it will benefit you little. You'll be like a bee that merely skims the surface of a flower. Instead, in this new way of reading, with prayer, you must become as the bee who penetrates into the depths of the flower. You plunge deeply within to remove its deepest nectar. Read the passage the way you'd read a love letter at the height of romance. Certain words may stand out. Let them sink into your spirit. Pray, God, God what do you want to say to me in this moment? If you're reading a story in scripture, you may want to use your imagination to try to recapture the setting and what was happening. What do the arms of the aging father feel like when he wraps them around his prodigal son? How do the fish and bread taste that Jesus multiplied to feed the 5,000? I know how the fish tasted. It tastes like tartar sauce. <laughs> All fish taste like tartar sauce. <laughs> <laughs> remember the goal isn't to see who can read the most it isn't to get through the scriptures it's get the scriptures through us fourth take one thought or verse with you through the day 
The psalmist says that fruitful living comes to the person who meditates on the law day and night. Meditation is the slow process of the roots sinking deeply into the nutrients and the moisture of the flowing river to produce nurture and fruitfulness. Again, it's mentioned over 50 times in the Old Testament. It's likened to a young lion growling over its prey or the low murmur of a dove, or a cow chewing its cud. It's quite an interesting picture, isn't it? You know, the, the cow has a number of stomachs, and he'll chew the grass and swallow it. How many? Four. Chew the grass, and, and I've done all this with just one. You know? <laughs> wow. He'll chew the grass and swallow it, and then a little while later, that was pretty good. He'll bring it up and chew it some more, you know, and... And, and, and that's what the scripture pictures as meditation. You read it, you think about it, you, later in the day you bring it back up and you think about it some more. You let it, you, you get all the, all the nutrients, all the juices out of it. It's built around the principle that what the mind repeats, it retains. Fifth, allow the thought to become part of your memory. Let us be people who meditate on the book. You know, somebody once asked G.K. Chesterton, said, if you were marooned on a desert island and could only have a single book, what would you choose? Now, given his reputation as one of the most erudite and creative Christian writers in the first half of the 20th century, one would naturally expect his response to be the Bible. It wasn't. He said, I would choose Thomas' Guide to Practical Shipbuilding. <laughs> it makes sense, doesn't it? When you're trapped on an island, we, we want a book that will help us to get home. But we are trapped on an island. We're trapped in behaviors and attitudes that lead to death. We need a book that will get us home. Author and speaker Jason Everett tells this story from the Alaskan Inuit Native Americans. When the Native Americans would find a wolf stealing their sheep and killing their animals, they wouldn't go out into the cold and hunt them down. They had another, more ingenious method of killing them off. First, what they would do is slaughter one of their own animals, pour the blood over the blade of the machete, take it outside into the freezing Alaskan air, and let the blood freeze over the machete. They would do this repeatedly until a thick coat of frozen blood covered the blade entirely. Then they would bury the blade handled down into the ground and go back to sleep. It wouldn't take long for the wolves to come around and smell the blood. Um, at first, they were very curious of what this thing was, but then they, they couldn't resist the blood. So they would go up and begin to um, feed on the machete blade. Uh, over time, the layers would wear away, and as the wolves taste blood, they become more ravenous. Uh, as they get down to the final layers, they cut their own mouths on the blade and are feasting on their own blood. Uh, enraged in this ravenous state, they don't realize that they're killing themselves. It wouldn't take long for the wolves to bleed out. The Native Americans would clean up the mess. It's exactly the same way with pornography. Uh, at first, we may seem like we're satisfying ourselves or finding what we really need and what we really want, but the end is destruction, and it is our own destruction from our own ravenous desires. God has created us to be above these things, and it's only through Him that we can have the victory. You can learn more about Jason Everett 
and his ministry at chastityproject.com or check the show notes for links. The next episode of the Think Twice TV podcast is entitled From Darkness to Light. We'll feature Gina's story, Former Satanist Set Free. We'll also feature Katie's story, Hiding in the Shadows. And yes, it's finally time for me to share my own personal testimony, Dan's story from darkness to light. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. This venture is sponsored by Media Messengers Evangelistic Association. Revealing the love and power of God through media. www.mediamessengers.org If you like the show, follow us on social media and please help us reach more people. All our social links are in the show notes. While all our stories are true, some of them have been read by voice actors. We